0: I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And as you do, (laughs) I don't know how to say this. What is an apology worth when someone says, I'm sorry for what I'm about to do? I heard a zero, not sorry, but that's what I'm doing. I'm apologizing for what I'm about to do because I'm about to sing. (laughs) And. And I don't want you to help me. <laughs> okay, ready for this? Gloria. I don't know what these words mean. Gloria but I'm going to sing them (laughs) anyway. Am I the only one guilty of that? I I fell in love with this song at First Baptist Church somewhere in the early to mid-80s. I looked up the meaning of Gloria in Excelsis Deo about two weeks ago. (laughs) Which means for 40 years, I was singing those words, not knowing what they meant. Anybody else? Come on. Gonna, okay, I see. I, okay, thank you. I feel so much better. <laughs> Guilt loves company. Uh, uh, and I do know what they mean now because I did look them up. And it's so simple. Glory to God in the highest. <laughs> who'd have thunk? I always thought it meant exceeding glory, you know, that excess excelsius. I kind of played with that word. And it's like, you know, it's, we have this thing called Google <laughs> and, and I'm sure I could have looked it up in the eighties. That would have been a lot harder. I probably could have actually walked to somebody musical and asked them because they would have known because musical people do that. But, but I, I thought about that as I was, because, you know, we've been doing these the elders have been preaching, or preaching the last few weeks, and each one has had a song title as a, the basis of the message. And I, I thought about this song uh, when, when I was doing that, and, and I thought, I'm going to have to know what it means before, I, be beyond the glory and, and that it sounds good. And, and what I found was it took me about a minute to find out what in excelsis Deo means, but the word that truly stumped me is gloria, which is simply glory. And the more I looked at glory, the harder it came to define. And so we're going to spend some time today coming to grips with what that word glory means. And we'll then we'll see that Jesus revealed God's glory to us. And then we'll see that we respond by giving glory to God. And so we're all wrapped up with this word glory. So before I go to, to defining glory, I'm going to tell you, I, I didn't go to a dictionary. Because the dictionary, I mean, think about this. We we know, we learn early on, you go to a dictionary to find the definition of a word, which by the way means the definition of dictionary is wrong. It should be definitionary, right? (laughs) Diction means where we go to learn to pronounce it. I don't go to learn to pronounce it from the dictionary, I go to Google. (laughs) How do you pronounce this word? And it will say, it'll pronounce the word. And I'm going, oh. Okay, now I know because I look at the dictionary. Is anybody else? You got all. I don't need to keep raising your hand. But but it's it's got all those little symbols and and things over the words that are supposed to inform you. And and I look at it and I go, I don't know what those mean either. And and uh, if I try to learn them, I won't remember them. And anyway, but where does the writers of the dictionary go to get their definitions? See, the writers of the dictionary do not create the definitions they find the definitions. Their job, and that's why dictionaries are constantly coming out and being revised. That's why every year or every couple of years, they come out with a new Webster's Dictionary. It's still a Webster's Dictionary. It's published by the same people. Why do they not just reprint the old one? Because definitions are changing, and the writers of dictionaries are constantly listening to how words are used today To revise definitions so they fit how words are used today. They find the meaning through usage. That's where the definitions come from. They don't decide a meaning, a meaning, they discern a meaning. They they find it. Uh, And so today we're going to explore the word glory through how it is used in scripture. Okay. So, uh, but I say that first of all, I'm going to think, talk about how we usually think of glory when applied to man. Right. Uh, because when I think of glory as applied to man, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is battle. Someone winning glory in battle. Someone going into battle, fighting brilliantly and blood everywhere and coming out victorious or dying in glory, going down in glorious defeat. And we think of glorious battle. You you might think of someone facing great odds and, and coming out on top. You don't gain glory for doing small things right? You, you go have a tug-of-war with a kindergartner, and you win, you go, yeah! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> depends on the kindergartner, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not glorious. You gain glory for overcoming great odds. You don't get it for small things. I think of risk and danger, someone going out in the blaze of glory, and it carries a taint of arrogance, because for someone to seek glory is to want to get that kind of recognition for himself. And we go, what is, what is it about someone that makes him want people to feel? I mean, we all like to be thought well of. Uh, but, but to want people to see you as someone who has earned or gained glory, that it, 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 it doesn't sound that good. And so as we look at this at glory as applied to people, Uh, it seems to mean a strong admiration, uh, a fame, and recognition. And I want you to hang on to that thought because we're going to go on from there, and we're going to come back to man's glory before we're done. Uh, But before I come back to that, I want to talk about God's glory. And there is this thing in the Bible, we find it especially in the Old Testament, called the Shekinah glory of God. And Shekinah is a Hebrew word used to describe the glory. Interestingly, the word is never actually found in the Bible. Uh, I I always thought Shekinah glory was in the Bible because I've always, I don't know how many years I've been hearing about the Shekinah glory. Maybe you've never heard of it, but I'm a pastor. Uh, And and what it means is the overwhelming sense of God's presence. Uh, And and we can find it in a few places. I'm going to go back to the book of Exodus. Exodus. Three of the the four places I'm going to look are are in Exodus, right around the Ten Commandments. Well, the first, first two are right around the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 19, the Israelites are gathered at the mountain. They're gathered at the mountain, and Moses starts talking to them. So let me read to you chapter 19, verses 16 through 21. So it came about on the third day when it was morning, that there were thunder and lightning flashes, and a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now the Mount, now Mount Sinai was all in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the entire mountain quaked violently. How far did I say I was going? 21. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. Then the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down, warn the people so they do not break through the Lord to stare, and many of them perish. And you have the the Shekinah glory of the Lord. Awesome, fear-inspiring. People are terrified of the glory of the Lord. You have the cloud, you have the fire, you have the lightning, you have the sound of a trumpet, and and it's all part of the Shekinah glory. This, This amazing, overwhelming glory of God. We go to the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments are found in Exodus 20. And immediately after the Ten Commandments, we read this, verses 18 through 21 of chapter 20. And all the people were watching and hearing the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it all, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. However, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you uh, and in order that the fear of him may, will, may remain with you so that you will not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. And the people said, Moses, God is too much for us. His Shekinah glory was awesome and intimidating and frightening, and they, this is God's glory was too much. They said, Moses, you go talk to him. Because uh, we can't handle this. And so Moses said, don't be afraid. We'll do that. <laughs> we, we've, we've got it covered for you. Uh, we find the Shekinah glory again in chapter 40 of Exodus. They've set up the tabernacle. Uh, the, the, God gave them directions to build the tabernacle, this temporary tent structure that, that was going to be God's temple in the wilderness, his portable temple, so to speak. And the glory of God came and settled on the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 and 35. Almost the end of the book. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And the glory of God was too much now for Moses, even Moses. Uh, whose face shone when he came down from the mountain because he'd been in the presence of God and the glory of God was, was, was like it had soaked in, it was radiating from his face. Even Moses can't go to the, into the tabernacle because the glory of the Lord is there. That's the Shekinah glory of God. We find it again, I wanna go not from the tabernacle, but now to the temple. Solomon has built the temple and he, is, he is, they're they dedicating the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter, uh Let's see, what do we have? Chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. And my Bible has a little heading at the top of chapter 7. It says, the Shekinah glory. (laughs) Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. All the sons of Israel seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord saying, certainly he is good. Certainly his faithfulness is everlasting. You find this Shekinah glory of God, this overwhelming presence of God. And based on this, glory seems to mean overwhelming grandeur and greatness. Overwhelming. Overwhelming as in it's too much for you. Uh, it's more than you can handle. And it it struck me that man seeks glory, and God has glory, and then I was starting to feel like I had a a grip on what glory meant. Uh, It's it's this great grandeur and awesomeness, and men want to have that. I want people, I want glory, and God has it. But then I came across Jesus' words in John chapter 17. If you're familiar with John chapter 17, it's, Some people call it the real Lord's Prayer, that that the one in Matthew where he's, you know, our Father who art in heaven is is, uh, a a lesson on prayer, but John 17 is his actual prayer. It's also called his high priestly prayer. And he prays, and, and in his prayer, he says these words in John chapter 17, verse 22. The glory which you have given me, I also have given to them. So that they may be one, just as we are one, and it completely destroyed my understanding of glory. I'm going. Jesus gives us glory. That doesn't fit anything that we've just read, right? It, it doesn't. It doesn't fit in. We certainly don't have the Shekinah glory, uh, and we don't have. If that's it, it's not glory that we've earned and doing glorious things. But Jesus prayed. He said, he didn't pray that we will receive glory. He says, I have given them glory, right? Uh, the glory which you have given me, I also have given them. And it, it just messed with my mind. And, and for a couple of days, I was just going, I don't know what to do with this. I, I don't like things that I don't know what to do with when I'm getting ready to preach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my job is to do something with things, not not to stand up and say I don't know what to do with it. Because glory is earned, glory is dis- displayed in glorious action. What can it mean that God gives glory to people? And then, uh, one of my favorite passages came to mind: Philippians chapter two, verse fifteen. Uh, I'm, I'm going to look at two two passages. Philippians chapter two. Well, I'm going to look at Philippians chapter two, verse fifteen, and then I'm just going to refer to Matthew. Uh, 516. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 says this. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Now, that's the way it says it in my New American Standard. In the NIV, I think it says something like, among whom you shine like stars in the darkness. And stars have glory. Yeah. Stars have glory. It's not the glory of the sun. I mean, we know that, you know, from the astronomers that uh, our sun is a mediocre star. <laughs> but, but, but as far as from our perspective, the sun has a far greater glory than any star ever thought of having. But they have their own glory. And, and they shine. And when I thought about that they shine, I thought of Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine among men that may, they may see your good works and glorify, get that, see your good works, and there's that word glory, glorify your Father who is in heaven. And, and we do have a glory that he gives us as we represent him. We have a glory that that people see, we have a glory that we give to God, and, and, and it. If glory is impressive goodness and holiness, glory applied to God, as in glory to God in the highest, is a recognition and admiration for that impressive goodness and holiness. And the same definition does work for us. It's just on a slightly different scale, a massively different scale. But it strikes me, he gave us glory. This is, this is by the way, you know, sometimes I have this whole big point I'm working towards which in case you haven't figured it out, it's give glory to God. <laughs> uh, but along the way, sometimes something hits me, and it's just so you know, this is like a freebie thrown in in the middle, but it might be the most important thing of it. We give glory to God as we, or, or we, we that, that glory that he gave us, he gave us glory, right? The glory that we had, I have given to them. He gave us glory, but that glory is only revealed as we serve him right? That glory is like a hidden glory. Do you take your your light and shine it under a basket? And as you think about that, think about Christians that you have known and admired. Christians who you, you, we all have them. People who in our history, people who in our walk, people who in our lives set a standard for us that we looked at them and we said, wow, that person is a godly man. That person is a godly woman. I want to be like that man. I wish I could be like that person. I will strive to be like that. That's glory. And we don't walk around. I don't think any of you has ever walked around and said, man, that guy is glorious. (laughs) We don't, we don't do, because we're not on that scale. But if you start, if we define it as admiration, as as appreciation and sometimes even expression of that, then it is glory. But it's not the glory like we give God because he's got the Shekinah glory. He's got that awesome glory and we have our little scaled down version, but we have it. He has given it to us and we have it as we use it. And as we hide it or don't use it, as we keep it under a bushel, then it's not glorious. So so that's the the gimme part in the middle is is, uh, the same definition of glory applies. It's just smaller with us. We're way down on the scale. Now, Jesus revealed God's glory. John 1.14, uh, this is, this is uh, by the way, those of you who are doing this, you will learn John 1.14. <laughs> just, just so you know, it's, it's, it's one of the things that will happen in the, in the course of that. Uh, John 1.14, now I, I said you will learn it as if I know it, and I'm, I'm just, you know, up in front of people and drawing a blank. Uh, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Um, Let's see. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Jesus revealed the glory of God. The glory of God is, if you had asked Moses, had he seen God's glory? (laughs) Moses would have said, oh, yeah. I'll tell you what, I was at the mountain. I went up the mountain. <laughs> I went, I saw the tabernacle. You know, you know, the, if the glory of God was involved in the cloud and, and the fire and all, then the, the pillar that led them, right? That went between the Israelites and the Egyptians. That's the glory of God <laughs> revealed. The Egyptians saw the dark side. <laughs> the Israelites saw the light side. That's the way, at least I, I see it in my brain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw the glory of God. I saw the Shekinah glory of God at the mountain. I saw the Shekinah glory of God at the temple. It was it was awesome. If you ask Solomon, did you see God's glory? Solomon would have said, oh yeah, I saw God's glory. I was there. We dedicated that temple. We put those offerings and man, the glory of God came down and we couldn't go in. We couldn't go to that place. We, it was too much for us. We, we could not go there. He would have said, yes, I have seen the glory of God. They had seen a display of his glory in splendor and in the power of his presence, but in Jesus... We have the display of the glory of his goodness and his holiness, bringing us salvation, something that the mountain couldn't do, something that the tabernacle couldn't do, something that the temple couldn't do, but Jesus could do. and in that, that, that baby that actually didn't have a halo, <laughs> you know, he didn't glow in the dark, he was just a baby, looked like a baby. Uh, how did they know how did the shepherds know which one? Well, he was laid in a manger right? And swaddling cloths. And I'm not sure what swaddling cloths look like, but I know what a manger... Well, actually, you know, this manger might have been made of stone. Tradition says it was. Not, you know, it's like that little wooden manger we put up front is probably wrong. I hate that. <laughs> uh, but uh, he looked, he, he, he didn't look special. He wasn't displaying God's, God's glory in the Shekinah way, but he was displaying God's glory in a far greater and more effective, powerful way way. He, he, he displayed God's glory, right? Canute last week, did Mary, did you know? The lame will see, the, 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 the lame will see. The lame will walk, the blind will see, the dead will rise again. The glory of God displayed in power, in, in power to do things that nobody else could, could, could think of. Those are glorious actions especially if you're the lame or the blind, right? And all of a sudden, you can walk or you can see. I'm not sure about the dead. Yet we never hear Lazarus' opinion to be about being brought back. (laughs) I I talked to a guy, I knew a guy who died of a heart attack, and they they actually didn't have the zappers, and the doctor beat on his chest and brought him back. And and I talked to him about it. I said, what was it like? He says, it was black. (laughs) He says, all I saw was black. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't, he, he didn't see, it's not like he saw black. He was just, there was nothing that, that, uh, 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 and, and, but he, that was, you know, he was there for like an instant. Uh, but Lazarus was there for four days. It's like, I'm, I'm there for four days. I'm thinking that wasn't just black. He saw something. I'm going, why are you calling me back? <laughs> I kind of liked it where I was. Uh, but at any point, those are glorious actions. Uh, and they're just a hint of what was truly glorious his power uh, they, they they proved that what he said if you go back to the story of the four men who l- lowered their friend through the wind through the roof they, they go up on the housetop probably peter 's house i'm sure Peter was just so happy to have them up there digging holes in his roof and, and they they dig a hole in his roof big enough for him to drop them to drop a body down right uh and and, and, and I imagine you know the body kind of folded a little bit so it didn't have to be a total, like, six-foot hole, maybe only four-foot hole. (laughs) Uh, But they they lower the body down, and Jesus says, he looked at him, and having compassion, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. And everybody got upset, saying, who does this guy think he is to say your sins can be forgiven? And he says, well, just so you know that I do have the power, this, by the way, Steve's translation, you can look it up yourself, Uh, Mm -hmm. Steve, uh, I do have the power to forgive sins, get up and walk. And the guy got up and walked. Why did he have the guy get up and walk to prove that what he said about forgiveness was real? What was the more important thing? The forgiveness. I mean, what what is more important to be to to be able to walk for another how old was the guy? Was he 30? To be able to walk for another 40 years and then die or to be in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever. and ever, right? And you go, "Hmm. They're just a hint of his glory." They are are enough to demonstrate that the glory of his power to save is real. That was was at least part of their purpose. I mean, he fed 5,000 people with a basket, a kid's lunchbox, right? Forget the count of fish and loaves because their loaves were small. We we think of a loaf of bread, little loaves. We think of, I don't know how big a fish he was eating. But a lunch basket fed 5,000 people. He walked on water. He said to the storm, peace, be still. You know what I always want to know? There's there's so many things I want to know that are are trivial and don't really matter. But Jesus is asleep. They wake him up, say, master, don't you care? We're perishing. He stood up and he said, peace, be still. And everything was still. And and so how did he say it? Was he angry? Peace, be still. Or did he wake up and go, peace, be still? (laughs) Or did he look at the disciples and go, peace, be still? (laughs) You know, it's like there's so many possibilities there and they all work. but he calmed the storm in Hebrews. If you read through the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is the book of Jesus is greater than, and he's greater than angels, and he's greater than Moses, and he's greater than Joshua, and he brings in a greater high priesthood, right? Uh, Jesus is, he displays God's glory in so many ways. Uh, Jesus displays God's glory to us. And so we go to his birth, Luke chapter two, where we're honest, that's where we're working from today. (laughs) Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 11. For today in the city of David there has been born for you... This is the angel speaking to the shepherds. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared... With the angel, a multitude of the heavenly army of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among people with whom He is pleased. And then the angels went away. They say, Glory to God in the highest, but they only mention one thing about Him. Today has been born for you a Savior. The one thing that is most important He is the Savior. The one thing that is most glory to God in the highest because of the Savior. They They don't talk about walking on water. They don't talk about multiplying food. They don't talk about healing, about any of those things. They talk about Savior. Glory to God because of the Savior, the child. Born in Bethlehem, wrapped in something called swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, the Savior of the world. And that's all the reason they need. And and I since I suspect the angels couldn't. That's another one. I thing I wanted. I wish I could know how they said it. And it, it just bothers me that they. It says said, instead of sang, because <laughs> I want them to sing. But but uh, it says they said, "Glory to God in the highest." And they what do they actually? They say "Glory in excelsis Deo," because we know they spoke Latin. No, <laughs> they see God's glory they looked at that manger, they looked at that baby, and they saw God's glory. And so they give glory to God, and that's what we need to do. And how do you give glory to God? Well, praise. When we praise him, we give glory to God. We look to him, and we give glory to him. When we pray, when you pray, include among your prayer. I mean, this isn't in a law. God will hear your prayers probably if you don't do this. But but thank him for who he is. Just acknowledge who he is. Uh, Because what are you going to say? Dear God, I thank you that you are God. Uh, Micah used to sing a song with the worship team. It was always Micah that sang it. Now I can't. I hate that. Uh, Like Annie, you know those songs? Yeah, I, I knew them, but I can't do them until somebody else gets the tune going, right? God, you are God. You are God, God, God. Yes, you are. I'm going. That actually doesn't tell us anything, <laughs> but it says so much. It expresses so much. He is God. In your prayer, express that to Him and sing. Yeah. Did you know? I, I read this somewhere. Not. A, I don't remember where I read it, but they said Christians are the only adults that sing. Uh, and 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 we're not obviously. There's professionals out there and people like that, but most adults don't sing. Most of us who are not those people. <laughs> Don't actually sing a whole lot unless we're Christians. And, and, and try, try this for a minute, right? Try, don't try this, just listen to me try it. Oh, 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 oh in excelsis deo. Do you feel it? <laughs> Richard's ready to walk out. <laughs> He's sitting there going, don't ever do that again. <laughs> But when you sing it, see, singing does something. Singing does something emotionally. Singing does something down deep. And it's a gift God has given us for expressing, among other things, expressing praise and presenting to him glory. Some things need to be sung. They don't do anything for you just spoken. They need to be sung, even if you sing badly. Christians are singing people. We're supposed to be a singing people. And Christmas, guess what? Is a singing time. So so sing praises to God. Give glory to God. Give him thanks. Give him give him thanks. I, I like it when uh uh when Linda Morrock was here, she quoted her late husband Bruce, who said, Thanksgiving is the highest form of praise. And I don't know if he's right or not, but it sure sounds good, and I can't say. Well, I don't know that it's right. I don't think it's wrong. Does that make sense? Uh, if you can't give him thanks, you can't give him praise. Uh, give thanks and and remember. It's so much fun to remember. Uh, and it's so valuable to remember. Remember yourself. And it's hard to remember yourself. It, depending on the, the older you get, <laughs> the farther back there is to remember and the more some things blur and 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 kids are all constantly asking me, Papa, do you remember this Papa, do you remember that no <laughs> no you know, for for them, it was the one time or the first time for me, it was the hundred and twenty third you know and and uh sorry, that one was not more significant than the others. I don't remember them but but I can remember my salvation. I can remember learning things, discovering things, I can remember. Specific things, God. I can remember my baptism. It really helps because the water was really cold. <laughs> 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 it makes it something easier to remember. You know what you do not need to do? You do not need to celebrate a Christless Christmas. Wow. And yet, most of the world does, most of the world works at it. They work at somehow celebrating Christmas and leaving the first half of the word out. And it's just must. (laughs) The, The focus is on presents. The focus is on food. The focus is on parties. And people are both, and if you watch any Christmas TV, people are constantly trying to define Christmas in terms of the true meaning of Christmas, but leaving Christ out of it. That's, That doesn't make any sense. That's like getting a treasure map and going to the wrong island and trying to follow it. You you can follow it all day and night and and dig all over the place. You're still not going to find it. You're in the wrong place. Christ is an essential part of Christmas. And they celebrate and they don't know why. And if any holiday presents the glory of God for people to see, I can't say because Easter, of course, is there. But but Easter, in most people's minds, is nowhere on the scale of Christmas. Yeah, Easter is much smaller in most people's minds than Christmas. For the Christian, it's like it's really hard to say. And some people will say, you know, Easter is more important. Other people say, you know, without Christmas, Easter doesn't mean much. (laughs) But Christmas certainly presents the glory of God for people to see. Uh, and, and, And it's like people hold up their hands like this and say, I want to see that. Lynn, you might not remember this, but for those of you who remember watching The Passion of the Christ in the movies, I remember Lynn watching it like this. <laughs> she wanted to see but she didn't want to see it all. And and if you've watched it, you understand that completely. If you haven't watched it, you go, that doesn't make any sense at all. But Oh yeah, it does. And that's how people view Christmas. And we in the church are in danger of doing the same I'm not saying we do I'm saying if we're not careful we will if we're not careful if we don't intentionally focus on Christ during Christmas, we will be sucked in by everything because because frankly we do what the world does you know we have i don't know about i I can't speak for you, but in my house we have a Christmas tree we have Christmas stockings we have presents around the tree uh we will Get up early Christmas morning. We're going to come to the worship service here, but first, guess what we're going to do? Open presents, right? We do all those things. We're going to have a big meal. We we do all the things you do on Christmas uh, that the world does. Uh, our eggnog is not spiked, <laughs> but we do have eggnog. There is I don't I don't believe we're wrong in doing that. I think there's nothing wrong with celebration. It's just remember why you're celebrating. Don't leave Christ out of Christmas. For most of the world, the celebration drowns out the purpose of the celebration. For Christians, the purpose must be the cause of the celebration. It is because Jesus Christ came to us, and we're giving him the glory that he earns. That, that he, he, both, he both deserves it by virtue of who he is, and he certainly deserves it by virtue of what he has done. Uh, so much more than we could ever expect. And the angel's response to the gift of Christ was to give glory to God in the highest. Gloria in excelsis or excelsis Deo. And it was the perfect response then. And it is the perfect response now. And why did the angel say glory to God in the highest? Because Jesus Christ was born who is the Savior of the world. And we give him glory. Because he is our Savior. But what if he's not? What if you are on the outside looking in? And you hear me saying these things, and you see people around going, yeah. And Donna saying amen. <laughs> That's the amen corner right there. If you want to join her, you can. So, <laughs> Jesus didn't complete the job by coming. Jesus began the job by coming and you could say he didn't com- or he completed the job on the cross he said it is finished those were his words but the job isn't complete for you until you respond in faith to what he has done and until then you are on the outside looking in not at the not at the manger but at the cross he paid the price of our salvation we need to be saved because we are lost I am lost because of my sin. Because I have sinned, I am lost and I need to be saved. Jesus came, he paid the price that my sin demands so that he, that, so that I, by faith in him, could, could gain the gift of eternal life. That's, that's what he did, that's how he did it, that's why he did it. And until you say to Jesus, I ask you to be my savior, everything I've said today is meaningless to you. It's, it's trivia that you can log away in your brain and say, oh, I learned this interesting fact. I now know what Gloria in excelsis Deo means. I didn't know that when I walked in. I got something out of church today. The angels are saying, glory to God in the highest. The angels are saying he's the savior of the world. He's not the savior of you. If he's not, you are still trapped in your sin. The price has been paid and you're saying, no, no. I don't want it. Jesus came to be the gift you need. More than anything else in the world that you need, you need him. How do you ask Jesus to be your Savior? Uh, Different people do it different ways. Don and I were talking this week about calling people to come forward. And I don't normally do that because, frankly, I have a really lousy track record of having people come forward. It just feels awkward. (laughs) It's it's funny because you go out to camp, people, man, respond. And so I usually don't. But you know what? When I asked Jesus to be my Savior, I didn't go forward in a church. I went to my room and prayed alone. It doesn't matter where you do it. What matters is what you do. And what you do is in honest prayer, tell Jesus you need him to be your Savior. It's not complicated. There are no magic words. You don't have to say something just right. You have to say you need Jesus, and you have to mean it. I mean, I say that, and, and there's not a verse I can point to to say that's that what I'm right, but here's what I could point to if we want to take the time. I could point to all the different places in Scripture where people came to Christ, and no two of them are the same. You don't find the same words repeated, you don't find the invitation made the same. You don't find any of those things. What you do find is people placing their faith in Christ. That's what you need to do. And, and if you do, you could, tomorrow morning, celebrate your first real Christmas. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I praise you for what you have done. We give you glory because you are glorious. We, we, Lord, I can only imagine the Shekinah glory, and I would love to see it. But we have a greater glory, the glory of Jesus Christ to salvation. Lord Jesus, I ask for each one of us to trust you as our Savior. If there's anyone here who has not trusted you as their Savior, Father, by your Spirit, work in their hearts, work in their souls. Make them aware of their need to respond and let them respond in faith. Lord, let us choose you and walk with you. Let tomorrow, let today be awesome in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name.